Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. It's uh, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read verses 32 to 42. So every man who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one, him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. If you take a moment and pray, pray with me. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your word uh, and for the chance to study it and to uh, um, hear a sermon on it today, Lord, and a chance to worship you together as a group. Pray, Lord God, that you'd help settle our hearts and our minds, that we may be focused on the word that is before us. And in all things, Lord, that we may do, may you be glorified. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. I, uh, that last song we just sang, Draw Me Close and Teach Me to Abide. There are moments in life where you're caught by some memory, thinking, thinking back, reflection, and uh, as a pastor, one of the things that's a privilege and an honor is to get to know so many of the, the flock, the church family. In doing that, one of the things that we as pastors get to know is a lot of pains and a lot of hurts that people, that people have. And um, so as I, was, as I was singing that song uh, with the rest of you and corporate worship, I'm, I was thinking of my, kind of myself, yeah, God, teach me to abide, and, and then he, then he took me to think about some other people uh, over the course of the last um, few weeks and months, and um, I'm going to share one only because it's publicly known, and I'm going to I'm going to share a reflection 
of Pastor Dave Gallagher, our pastor of care. It was just two months ago that uh, we gathered in here to say goodbye at his memorial service. Um, He's someone who sought the Lord to abide with him in his life. Made an impact on me, but uh, this morning, Angie, I was praying for you. We walk through this life as followers of Christ, and we need to be taught to abide as believers day after day. Because when we're hit with devastating news, when life doesn't go as we outlined it and planned it, hoped it would go, um, those are moments when that truth of teach me to abide is uh, needed and necessary. So, I don't know everything about everyone, honestly, and you know that. But I know for many of us, there's areas in our life where we're struggling. But as we look at Scripture this morning and continue this in in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is telling his disciples and Jesus is telling future disciples, look, I've got you and my heavenly Father has you. Trust me. So as we dig into the word this morning, know this. This is a message that is for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and are choosing to follow him as Lord. The whole gospel of Matthew is about that. Matthew isn't about how to come to faith in Christ. That's the gospel of John. Matthew, we have to remember, writes from the perspective of Christ is king, the kingship of Jesus. And so he's writing, sharing with us what discipleship is, what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it is to abide in him every day. I just, I just want to remind us, we're a privileged and blessed people for, for what I just talked about as, as believers in Jesus Christ. But also, we get to gather in a nation where it, we're free to worship. God, you've blessed us. You've blessed us mightily with that. And uh, my hope and my prayer is we're mindful of it and we're grateful for it the religious freedoms that, that we have in the United States uh, of America, the religious freedoms to gather, corporately worship, and, and then open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. And so uh, I, hope you're, I hope you're still there. If you didn't bring your Bible, you don't have one. Uh, there's one in front of you. It's page 815. If it's, the, 
If it's the thicker version of the Pew Bible, if it's the thinner version, it's page 765. 765 in the thinner version, 815 in the thicker version. You may have it on your phone. You may have it in the Matthew Journal that we, we gave you. you, you know, we, got, we got the Word of God all around us. It is my, it is my constant longing and, and prayer that we would be utilizing it. It's my constant longing and prayer that, that, that I'd be utilizing it. Sometimes you can get so, uh, uh, things become so familiar, you, you forget about them. We have the Word of God. We have God's Word speaking to us. You want to know, it's, it's, it's so it's kind of fun once in a while, you know, people go like, I don't know what, what God would have me do. I, I don't know, you've been reading the Bible? It's not that hard. Oh, I get it. It doesn't tell you what you should have for lunch. And I don't think God cares that much about that particular thing. But what he does care about most, he, he tells us, and he, cares about, and he cares about us, and he cares about how we, how we live and how we move forward in life. And so here in this, here in this chapter, Jesus has, has called his disciples, he's, he's commissioned them for mission, and he's, and he's coaching them. Now, coaching is, uh, is for the purpose of preparing somebody or preparing a, a team to go out and, and, and to compete or to go out and, and to uh, do the best that they can do to play to the level of their ability or their, their capability. And we are. We are, to, we are to always be, whatever we do, we should be, we should be doing it to the level of our ability or, or our capability. Never play to the, to the level of your competition. Why? Because then you're letting the opponent determine how you play, the effort you give, the intensity you bring, the focus that you have. You penalize yourself when you allow the opponent to determine your effort, your energy, your competitive spirit. And then as you go, play every game, use your ability in not just games, but, but whatever talent it is, do it like it's your last because it very could be. Coach Venables said this, I quote, You have to decide to be successful. You don't just inherit the right to be successful because you show up. Your commitment has to exceed whatever your goal is, end quote. The Christian life aligns with that, with that mindset. You have to decide. You have to choose to be committed to Christ, to be a committed disciple of Jesus. You determine if you're going to live the Christian life to the fullest. Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10 said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. The Apostle Paul, writing to the saints in Corinth about living the Christian life in a manner worthy of winning the prize, worthy of claiming the trophy in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, says this, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Disciples of Jesus are to live in obedience to Jesus with every fabric of their being, with every intention of their intellect, with every passion of what we pursue, every bit of strength of our effort and every focus of our mental energy. In the world we find talent is common, but commitment is uncommon. Discipline is uncommon. Are you willing to do what others are not? Parallel this to the Christian faith. Talking about discipleship is common. Committed to being a disciple is not. Obedience to Jesus is not. Are you willing to do what Jesus commands and live as God outlines in Scripture and not according to the accepted level of faith in the current Christian culture? As we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew, discovering Jesus is King, this past month we've studied the second of the six discourses in this Gospel. And the focus of this discourse develops what it means to be a mission-driven disciple. Jesus called his 12 disciples at the beginning of chapter 10. He commissioned these 12 disciples for the mission of going to the lost sheep of Israel. And Jesus coached his 12 disciples as to what they were to take with them, what to look for, how they would be treated, and the priorities they were to have. The three verses we look at today are the culmination of Jesus' instruction to his 12 disciples for this mission. And while this mission was specific to a particular audience for a set length of time, Matthew 10 is significant in Jesus' ministry because it introduces this transition from a Jesus-only ministry to the ministry of Jesus through his church, meaning his followers, his disciples. Ministry was no longer to be done by addition. The shift now is to multiplication. Jesus will continue to minister, and we will see that in chapter 11. But now Jesus enlists his 12 disciples in ministry, giving them his authority to do the very acts of service that Jesus had taught about in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 and performed, which the disciples witnessed in chapters 8 and 9. The disciple of Jesus lives in obedience to his Savior, working to bring others into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was selfless. Remember, he humbled himself to come to earth as a baby in a manger. Jesus took on humanity, living among us and serving all socioeconomic groups, preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand while healing the sick, raising the dead, 
cleansing the leper, casting out demons. And now it's time for his disciples, who have heard his teaching and witnessed his works of service, to go out and do the very same. As well, these verses have much to say to disciples of Jesus in the 21st century. Jesus Jesus would have us do the same by preaching the kingdom of heaven and serving those to whom he calls us to go. As we come to our, our text today, looking specifically at verses 40 through 42, we find some difficulty in determining the subject of the sentences in these verses because everything is in pronouns. And all pronouns need antecedents. And so we got to go searching and make sure we got the right antecedent for the pronoun to understand what Jesus is saying and who he's talking to. The greatest clarity is in the last part of verse 42 where it says, Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. That, pron- that pronoun there we know is Jesus himself because he's the one who's doing the, the teaching, the instructing of the disciples here in chapter 10. Verse 40, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives you receives me. The you is the disciple, the me is Jesus, the he who receives, that has to do with the people to which the disciples were going. So the person to receive or welcome the disciple of Jesus receives Jesus as well, he says. And that same person to receive Jesus receives God the Father who sent Jesus to earth. The message that Jesus' 12 disciples will preach is the message of Jesus. And the message of Jesus is the message of God. The 12 disciples were going out in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. We see that back in verses 1 and verse 7 in this chapter. And they were going out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus concludes his teaching in these verses, he focuses now and and maybe even kind of for the first time on the the positive response of what it means to be received by others as the disciples go out. You see, in verses 14 through 23, Jesus warned against the negative responses that the disciples would, would face. Now he's sharing with them the positive response. In Jewish culture, to go out in the name of a person is to be received as if it were the person himself. Jewish thought was a man's agent is like to himself. An ancient Jewish proverb says, a messenger for a man is the man himself. Therefore, the person who receives or the person who welcomes, invites in, receives as a guest, the disciple of Jesus has received Jesus himself because the disciple is going in the name of Jesus. We'll see that in just a moment. Jesus continues that thought, extending it to God, his heavenly Father. 
To receive Jesus is to receive God who sent Jesus. R.T. France says it this way, God himself enters the house with Jesus' messengers. Now Jesus stated the same truth in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, when he appointed 70 others and sent them out in pairs on mission ahead of him. There we read, The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Jesus also reiterated this truth on the night of his betrayal while eating the Passover with his 12 disciples in the upper room. John records it in his gospel, chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. The disciple of Jesus who is received, who is welcomed in as a guest into one's house by anyone of the lost sheep of the house of Israel is welcoming Jesus himself and the God of heaven, the creator of all, the sovereign ruler and king of everything. Implied in being received into one's house is also the acceptance of the teaching of the disciples which is the message of the kingdom of heaven, is at hand, meaning the Messiah is here. The one prophesied of in the Old Testament, the one to come from God to man, that Christ is here, it's on earth right now. Therefore, to receive a prophet and his message was synonymous with receiving Jesus Christ and the message that Jesus preached. One commentator writes it this way, and I quote, By receiving or welcoming Jesus, they would be receiving God the Father who sent him and would be entering into a right relationship to the Father and Jesus. End quote. The disciple of Jesus is in the privileged position and has the responsibility to represent Jesus to those to whom he goes. In doing so, the disciple also represents God. And it follows that the reception of the disciple is therefore a test of the person's attitude to God himself, leading either to reward or to loss of reward. Verse 41 he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he, he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Jesus is speaking here of true prophets of God as contrasted with the false prophets he warned of in chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Where in his Sermon on the Mount, we read this, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? 
So every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. In the Old Testament, a person who accepted a prophet in his message had accepted God's will. Those who provided for the prophets were rewarded like the prophets were rewarded. Similarly, to receive a righteous person or a disciple for Christ's sake would mean sharing in their reward for faithfulness. So he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet or receives a prophet in the capacity as a prophet shall receive for himself the reward of a prophet. The reward of the prophet and the reward of the righteous man are kingdom rewards that are the fruit of discipleship. Remember what Jesus has instructed his disciples in chapter 10. When you respond in obedience to the mission that Christ is sending us on, you will have your needs met. God will see to it. You will be persecuted, face rejection or alienation. When you are handed over to government authorities, your heavenly Father will give you the words to speak by His Spirit. You need not fear your persecutors, for they cannot kill your soul. They cannot take your salvation from you. You are eternally safe and secure in God. Your life will be marked by peace and purpose when you take your cross, and follow Jesus. Those were the things that Jesus was instructing his disciples for their mission. And those are truths for us today as his disciples as we go on mission for Jesus. Now, in verses uh, 41 and 42, I want us to notice the terms that Jesus uses. Verse 41, he uses the term prophet, and he also uses the term righteous man. Then in 42, he uses the term disciple, and he uses the term little ones. If we go back to the beginning of the chapter, as Matthew begins recording this scripture, he records the words disciple as he calls the disciples to himself, and then in verse 2, he calls them apostles. Now, it seems plausible the terms used are describing different and distinct aspects of one who is a believer in Jesus as God's Son, the Christ who gave his life for the forgiveness of sin. 
In verse 40, there appears to be specificity in Jesus' words to his 12 disciples, with a broader expansion extending to all disciples of Jesus in verses 41 and 42. So as we look at those terms, the first is prophet. Prophet is one who speaks for God, God's spokesman. The second term is righteous man. That's a generic category for one who has the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven that comes from obedience to Jesus. The third term is disciple. We know that that is a follower of Jesus who listened to the teaching of Jesus, implemented it into his life as he served in the name of Jesus. Then there's the term little ones that refers to needy disciples who are often excluded from care due to attention given to the more prominent disciples. And then the fifth term that's used in this chapter is apostle. An apostle was a messenger sent forth with orders, chosen by Jesus himself, and an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these five terms are seemingly used in chapter 10 to describe different and distinct aspects of a believer in in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died as the sacrifice for sin. To receive a prophet is to receive Jesus Christ, his teaching, his ways, and his gospel. And as a result, that person receiving the prophet will receive the reward of the prophet, which, as a believer in Jesus, would refer to eternal life. Now again, we must keep in mind, Jesus is teaching on what it means to be a disciple of his here. What is involved in following him and living life with Christ as the Lord of your life, as the Savior for your sins. Remember, Matthew's focus is Jesus as king, ruler over your life, the one who is worthy of your worship. Jesus concludes his instruction to the twelve disciples with these words. Verse 42, And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Little ones, that, that term of affection that Jesus used towards his disciples, especially when they followed him with the innocence and faith of a child. That phrase, little ones, is often used of those of little importance, power, or influence. And it would, make, it would make sense. As you think of Jesus calling his 12 disciples, as you look at the 12 disciples, what power, what influence, what importance did any of them have? In Luke 12 32, Jesus referred to his own disciples as a little flock when he said, and I quote, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Verse 42 points out that God notices the small things. A cup of cold water. Easy to do. Anybody can do that. In the New Testament, 
the first century, drawing water was a very basic task. And so to give a, a cup of cold water, simple, easy, doesn't take much effort. You're doing it anyway for yourself, help someone else along the way. The simplest, smallest ways in which we serve others in the name of Jesus is noticed and noted. Then Jesus says, he shall not lose his reward. The phrase doesn't translate with the same clarity into English as the original meaning of the Greek language in which Jesus spoke it. The statement that Jesus is making is the one who gives a cup of cold water will be rewarded. And it's emphatic. The way in which Jesus states it, and Matthew records it, he's being emphatic and stating, look, you give a cup of cold water, you're going to be rewarded. It would have caught the disciples' attention. And this is a reminder to us that God notices and God is aware of the seemingly insignificant details of our lives. Just a few verses prior, Jesus has said, God knows the number of hairs in your head. Jesus said, aren't two sparrows sold for a cent, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father noticing? A sparrow was worth a sixteenth day's wage? Not worth very much, and yet God notices the seemingly insignificant things. The disciple of Jesus lives in obedience to his Savior, working to bring others into the kingdom of heaven. And as he does, as she does, he and she will be rewarded. So as we conclude Matthew chapter 10, we know that believers in Jesus are more than saved from the penalty and power of sin. We know that there is more for believers than forgiveness from sin in Jesus, which changes our eternal destination from hell to heaven, from separation from God to a relationship with God. As believers in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, we know that we are followers of Jesus, disciples, and are to follow each day living in obedience to his word and his will for our lives, which is outlined for us in the Bible. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we are his representatives on this earth to everyone we meet and interact with. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we have been commissioned to carry on his mission and his ministry, preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, obediently going where he calls us to go and doing what he commands us to do. We know that as we go, we will encounter those who reject us, those who persecute us, including the religious leaders, the government, our family, and definitely our culture. We know that as disciples of Jesus living in obedience to his call and commission, our souls are secure in God our Heavenly Father. We know that we may be hurt, we may be harassed, we may be harmed. We may even be killed. But those 
in this world cannot destroy our faith in Jesus. They cannot kill our soul. Our eternity is secure in God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We know that as disciples of Jesus, when facing people of power and authority, our God will give us the words to speak by His Holy Spirit. We know that as disciples of Jesus, when we are persecuted, we are to continue the mission, moving from where we are to another place, to another people group. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we can expect to be treated in the same manner as our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And for much of the time, that was not a welcome reception that Jesus received. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we are to proclaim all Jesus has taught us. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we do not go alone. We are not left alone or abandoned to be on our own. In fact, we have a God who knows us intimately with attention to every detail of our lives. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we are at peace, living with purpose when we willingly follow our Savior. That includes taking up our cross, knowing our physical life could end in a manner similar to that of our Savior. We know that as disciples of Jesus, when we speak the truth of Scripture, we may face loved ones opposed to our commitment to Jesus and the Bible. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we will be rewarded for our faithfulness on this earth to our Savior, to our Lord, to our God. And we are to live mindful of that reward that is promised by God and secured through Jesus Christ. As his disciples, we are called, commissioned, and coached by Jesus to be workers in the Lord's harvest field. Jesus has empowered each of his disciples to live righteously. As we do, we must be aware and be prepared to endure adversity, hardship, and persecution as we proclaim the kingdom of heaven, sharing Jesus and the reason why he willingly went to the cross to die, shedding his blood, to satisfy the wrath of God, so that by grace through faith, you and I have the opportunity to come into a relationship with the God of Scripture. As we live on mission, working in Jesus' harvest, we know that if we publicly confess Jesus as Savior and His kingship on the earth, Jesus will be our advocate confessing us before God, His Father. As well, disciples of Jesus are not to grow tired in telling others, nor are we to become weary in well-doing. Rather, we are to be faithful in service to our Savior, Lord, and King. As we minister to others in the kingdom, we will be rewarded. In the meantime, we remember what Jesus did for us through his death on the cross. 
as he called, commissions, and coaches us for the mission of proclaiming his name, for ministering in his name to a desperate and dying world. Because all that he went through for us, his disciples remember and are strengthened and are encouraged in the face of persecution, rejection, hatred, and even martyrdom. The words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, the young pastor, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul pins these words. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter reiterates that same truth he heard Jesus teach in his first letter. Peter, who was right there in Matthew chapter 10, heard these instructions from the mouth of his Savior and his Lord as inspired by the Holy Spirit to write his first letter, he writes this in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not, do not obey the gospel of God? Can you almost picture Peter writing this? Mindful of all that he has gone through, all that Jesus taught. Likely mindful of the words of Jesus in chapter 10. The Apostle Paul knew that there was a reward for obedient faith. It was a trophy for which he lived his life, willing to suffer for the sake of his Savior and Lord. Romans 8.18, he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Anything that we go through on this earth while on mission for Jesus Christ as his disciple going in his name to preach the kingdom of heaven to serve those that he's called us to serve whatever happens to us the glory that awaits us is far greater than whatever we will have to Put up with and endure on this earth. He was looking forward 
to the glory that is about to be revealed. He was looking forward to living life obediently and coming one day into the presence of his Savior. If you're here this morning and are a believer in Jesus Christ as the Savior for your sins, that it was His death on the cross and His death alone, His blood that was shed that covers your sins so that by grace through faith you can be saved, then I invite you to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. You see, what Jesus went through, he went through to change our relationship with God from one who was apart from God to one who's now with God, from one whose eternity was going to be eternal damnation and separation from God to eternity in the presence of God, from one whose eternity was going to be hell whose now eternity is heaven with his creator. And Jesus gave his body Remember, as we go through chapter 10, the disciples didn't know the end of the gospel because they were living it. And so when Jesus talks about being persecuted, they're wondering what it, what it means. They're not knowing what, what's even ahead for for Jesus. And what was ahead for Jesus was his body would be ultimately broken as it, as it hung on the cross, as it was nailed to that cross. But prior to that, he was whipped and beaten after he was betrayed and, and arrested and, and went to all those, those trials where they, they continued to mock and to scourge and to flog him. And then they, uh, then they put the cross on Jesus and he walked through the streets of Jerusalem out to Golgotha where he would be, be crucified. Imagine. Imagine what the disciples might have been, been thinking. Jesus called us to take up our cross. This is what he's called us to. And sure, they, they still didn't get it at that time. But you and I get it today because we've got it all in a perspective. They got it a few days later. I'm going to go, wait a minute, Jesus, wait a minute, he rose from the dead? Whoa, how cool. The body of Jesus. We do this in memory of our Savior, Jesus Christ who willingly gave his body so that we might have eternal life. Do this in remembrance of Jesus.
Jesus then took the cup, that Passover night, before he was arrested, betrayed and then arrested. He told his disciples, this is a new covenant in my blood. There's a new covenant coming in my blood. They didn't, I don't believe they totally understood it that night. But later they did. And we get to read about it. Jesus being the final sacrifice once and for all for sin. It's finished. That's why on the cross Jesus could say, it is finished. He shed his blood. It was poured out as the last and only needed and necessary sacrifice for sin. His blood. It's what, Jesus, it's what God had, had started back in the, in the garden in Genesis 3. That blood had to be shed to cover sin. And now it was Jesus' blood that covers our sin. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we come remembering the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for our sin. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. You've given everything for us, withheld nothing back. May we be found faithful, waiting as a, as a bride for the bridegroom. And while we are waiting, may we be found diligent about the mission that Jesus has set us on, to work in your harvest field, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand and serving and ministering to those in need. Oh God, strengthen us knowing that you have us and we are secure in you and nothing that is done to, the, done to us on this earth can ever take our salvation from us. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who died on our behalf for the sacrifice of sins, I pray. Amen.